Welcome to episode 591 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righto, team, welcome along to episode 591 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom and Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? Pretty good. We're, we're in a different location today, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, new studio is the spare bedroom. I'm in the spare, it's my daughter's old bedroom. She's left home now, so she's her old bedroom. We're upstairs and uh, we're getting some work done on the house right now. And we are uh, getting the house painted, John. Poor planning. Poor planning on your part. Well, it's... Come any day Yes and no, because... We're getting the whole house and the roof painted, but we need to give you nails replaced in the roof. So the builder pretty much texted me this morning, said, I'm coming around, and because he's a mate of ours, and so we turn up and even think about it. John said, do you think it's going to be loud, no, loud when we're doing this? And you're hearing this, the world's ending on top, and I thought, no, we'll be right, mate. Did a test recording? It was crap. <laughs> so we had to move into the into the spare bedroom, but we'll survive, won't we, John? We will indeed. Iron Talk is proudly brought to you by... Athlinks.com. Social networking for endurance athletes. Extreme Galactic Buffer. And our patrons. And name a few, Jumbo. Jens, the champ, Dalman. That's a good one, isn't it? Andrew, the predator, Hunt. And one of our all-time classics, Robert Boom Boom Beeland. Boom Boom Beeland. This week's show, guys, we've got some news. We've got a discussion of the week. We've got Statistic. Good interview, John. Yep, Jeff Jones. You're going to hear from him. Jonah? Jonas? Jonas, sorry. I think Mike Riley calls him Jeff Jones. It's a bit of a joke. He has done every Iron Man in the world. Wow, that's pretty cool. That is very cool. It'd be quite cool to sit down and talk to him. Uh, we're going to do Wanger of the Week, uh, questions and answers, and then that's pretty much to today's show. So we had a race happening over the weekend. We had a couple of races, but one pro race. Ironman Malaysia happened, John. Steaming hot in Malaysia, as per usual. Uh, Roman Gilam took it out. Good to see him back on top. It's been a while. So, you know, he, he was a bit of a Kona contender there, or at least you know, coming off the bike in Kona for a while. We haven't seen too much of him of late. He swam 48 minutes, rode 429, which is really where he set up his race win and managed a three hours <coughs> and ten minutes run for eight hours 32. So uh, it's interesting actually because in Thorsten's notes he's got that you know most of the runs in 2017 he's really struggled but Malaysia he pulled it together for 310 which is interesting because you think in Malaysia with the heat for a guy who normally struggles in the run because they probably pushed their bike it's interesting that that's the race that he pulls it off. It is, but you're obviously running at a slower pace and it's more a case of handling the heat than actually trying to run fast. You know, if you're trying to run a 2.45, it's a um, different story to running a 3.10 in the heat. So he clearly handled it pretty well. Good on him. Jens Peterson Bach from Denmark was in second place. He came home with three hours and zero, zero seconds on the run to be four minutes down. And Roman... Dyson Hoffer from Germany was in third place in 8.40. Probably the, the pre-race favourite, uh, the king of Asia, Freddy Cronenberg, was all the way down in 11th place. Uh, he got a puncture on the bike oh, and that what it was? couldn't fix it and we spent 30 minutes on the side of the road or oh, so. Oh, really? Jeez. Um, Still carried on though, and had one of the fastest, faster run splits of the day, um, but only in eleventh place. So he was really targeting that race to defend his title and win. Um, so a bit of a bummer for him. 
30 minutes. Mm. That would just rip your undies, wouldn't it? It really would, especially when it's your peak race for the for yeah, the season. Yeah, and you're a pro athlete. On the girl side of things? Diana Reisler is winning again. She's won this race many times before. She swam 57, rode 457, and ran a 319 uh, to beat off for, for a 919 total. Uh, eight minutes in front of Maureen Half, also from Germany. Both had... Almost identical swim times, almost identical run times, um, but Maureen was about eight minutes down on the bike, and then uh, Marion Garnet was in third place in 9.36. Well, so, good yeah, I was, I was just yawning, mate. It's a hard life I lead, I tell you. Uh, so I'm in Los Cabos happened as well, and it's really interesting actually looking at the numbers for this race, because in the full we only had 455. And they've brought in a half, and they only had 540. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's still nearly 1,000 athletes, or, or it's kind of just on 1,000 athletes. I wonder what the cutoff point when they go, that's not enough. We'll wait and see if this race is still around in 12 yeah. months' time. That's just not any speculation on anything I've heard. But for any other organiser, if, if I was organising an Ironman and got you know, 500 plus 500,000 people, you'd go, that's a result. Right, I'm, I'm happy with that. There's yeah. a good number of people out on the course. You wouldn't have any drafting issues, and I personally would actually enjoy going and doing a race where there's you know 400 odd people on the course. But whether or not Ironman see it that way uh, is another question. And I don't think I even mentioned this race last week um, because you know often these non-pro races don't sort of show up on the radar. So Jan Valencia in the 35 to 39 took it out. He swam 48, rode 4:57, and ran. Uh, it doesn't have his run split down there, but his total time was 9:03 for a 14-minute victory over Salvador Ruiz uh, in the 30-34 and then Tom De Bruin was in third in 9.23 so no sub-9 performances there and if you were under 10 hours you were in the top 23 overall on the girls side of things uh, there was not that many girls racing there was uh, 96 and the whole females field. racing. But is that relative to what we normally get? Like basically yes. it, was a, it was a fifth of the field. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's pretty pretty consistent. Pretty close racing. Amy Jevons, uh, 45 to 49, taking out all the youngsters. She swam 107, rode 5.24 and came home in 10.23. Three-minute victory over Lisa Ratchets, who was in the 40 to 44. And then, ooh, let's give this one a go. Uh, Ursula... Legario Mendez. Well done. Well done. The youngest one on the podium, 30-34. She came home in 10-34. We also had some 70.3s. We had the Las Cabos happening in Terenzo and uh, Janine Seymour. And then uh, Challenge Shepparton, Dan Wilson and Anne Erberhardt. And then and this is a Chinese one. Zaiman, 70.3 in China. Sam Betan and Elmer Milan, one note as well. It is. So good to see actually a race taking place in China. It's been uh, a hiccup year, hasn't it? It has, but it's all become fairly clear because of the presidential elections over in China. That was definitely the, the main reason, from what I've been told, as to why those races got cancelled. Um, no one went against them, did you see on the news? Oh, that was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Who votes for? Everyone voted for, John. That's what you call democracy. Democracy at its best, <laughs> although it is communism, but still, everyone, he, no one dislikes him. He's pretty popular. He is very popular. Very popular. Okay, we had Iron House Triathlon happening this weekend. It's a big race, but we are missing a few of the rock stars. We've got Gomez, who's going to be racing in Bahrain, obviously going for the million dollars. Mm-hmm. We've got Sanders, who's going to be doing Ironman Arizona, and then we've got Frodo is not racing as well. Is there a reason for that? 
I don't know. He, he didn't go last year, okay. um, so I'm not quite sure why. But it's a really cool format, as you guys heard from Luke McKenzie last week. It's um, I guess Super League's taken a little bit away from it to, to some degree because... Um, we had to pause. John, John put the quick pause hand in front of me, but up, he's back. I pulled up the wrong website. So the reason why I'm excited about this Island House race is it's got $500,000 prize money. So as you heard again last week, outside of Kona, that is the biggest prize check in the world. So the athletes we've got lining up this year, a real mix of uh, ITU athletes and long course athletes. Uh, the girls' side, we've got Leander Cave, Sarah Crowley, she's had a brilliant year. Flora Duffy, you think she's just going to absolutely decimate everybody. Body. Ashley Gentle has probably been the you know probably the form runner on the ITU circuit, especially in the second half of the year. Lauren Goose from the States, Andrea Hewitt, uh, Rachel Joyce, Kirsten Casper, Alicia Kay, Rachel Klammer, Holly Lawrence, Emma Pallant, uh, Ellie Salthouse, Sarah True, and Katie Zaveris. So you've got quite a few of the top um, ITU girls there. You haven't got uh, Danielle Reef, and I think it would be fascinating to see Daniela Reef versus Flora Duffy over maybe some sort of middle ground distance. You know, maybe not quite a 70.3, but you know, like a 2K swim, 60K bike, 15K run, because they're both just beasts on the bike and uh i'd just be really interested to see how that uh but reef wouldn't be that fit right now would you well she's got to go for a million bucks uh, oh, the weekend course. after next yeah. so uh, i dare say that's the reason why she's not there but i think that would be a great match up you know of, <clears throat> of the itu girls you know if, the, if there was somebody going who could possibly beat Daniela reef flora duffy has got that written all over her just because she's got the the all-round package she can ride like a demon which uh which a lot of the girls struggle to keep up with how is flora duffy Oh, I'm just going to guess, but she's not that old, you know. Okay. She's, so she's not going to cross over soon. In her twenties. Okay. Yep. Um, on the guys' side of things, you have got Josh Amberger, Sam Appleton, Terenzo, Tim Don. Uh, he's got an asterisk next to his name. I did see a picture of him the other day with uh, still with some neck brace on, so I'll be somewhat surprised if he's racing. Cam Dye, I think he finished second there last year. Uh, Leon Griffin, Ben Hoffman, Ben Canute, Sebastian Keenlay, Eric Lagerstorm. Vincent Louis, Mario Mola, Richard Murray, Aaron Royal, and Henry Schumann. So very similar to the girls. you got some fantastic short course races. Terenzo, for a long course racer, did extremely well last year. Uh, I think he finished third or fourth. I think maybe fourth um, just behind the Aussie Aaron Royal. So he's still got a little bit of speed in the legs. In terms of the format, what they're doing, uh, Friday they have a super sprint individual time trial. They bike 7Ks, run 2Ks, swim 200 metres in the morning. And then the afternoon they have a sprint enduro where they run 2Ks, swim 375 metres, bike 10Ks, run 2Ks, swim 375, <laughs> bike 10Ks, run 1K. So One K at the end of that. Yeah, so <sighs> so they have got three runs in there, um, two swims, two bikes. So that should be a really cool format. And then the final day is a sprint pursuit where I'm pretty sure they add your times from day one up and you basically, the, fast, the person who's in the lead gets to take off first and everybody's got to chase them down. So whoever crosses the line at the very end is your sort of overall winner. How does that work? Like, do you get packs, or is it non-drafting? What's uh, the story? I'm pretty positive it's non-draft. I'm almost positive it's non-draft. It's got to be, doesn't it? Yeah, no, it's yeah. definitely non-drafting. With a field that size, um, you can yeah. make that happen, even though it's it's narrow roads and stuff. Certainly looked fairly spread out last year. You talked to Luke last week. I didn't I didn't hear the interview uh, coverage. 
So you're just going to be getting uh, cover updates um, on online updates, but no sort of live coverage as, as such. And then you wait for the uh, so the TV program to come out later on. So get on your social media and follow it, and it should be some uh, pretty hot racing. We've got Ironman Arizona coming up in Arizona. It's one of these lucky races that normally any other time of the year probably wouldn't pull a great field, but after Kona everyone wants to get their slot for next year and so it gets a pretty strong profile for you know just an average Ironman race well not an average Ironman race but you know what I mean um, and this weekend is no exception to that Lionel Sanders is going to be racing Brick McMahon Jeff Simmons um, who else we got there I'm, I'm, I know you started with the girl, the guys, but I'm more excited with the girls. It is a stellar girls field and look how many men you got you got probably 40 men pro mm-hmm. and you know, 30 girls. But okay, tell me the girls. The quality of the girls is just awesome. So I think uh, I, I was trying to find out if uh, Hallie Fredrickson is in fact racing. So Torsten's got her down on tryrating.com with an asterisk. And I went onto her Twitter account yesterday to see if there was any mention. And it certainly sounds like she's doing an, an iron distance race. But whether it's this one or um, somewhere else, we'll just have to wait and see. But you're f- uh, taking her out of the equation. Your top five seeds on, on Torsten's ratings are all top five, top 10 Kona girls, if not top five. So you've mm. got Kaiser Sali, uh, seated first, Heather Jackson, who's had two great races in Kona, Angela Neath, Michelle Vesterby, uh, and Sarah Pampiano. Uh, so that is your top five racing. And uh, and then you throw in Hallie Fredrickson in there, and who knows what could happen. So really, really awesome uh, girls' field. So... Hopefully they're all racing, but you never know because there are a few asterisks there. As Bevan said, on the guys' side, uh, Lionel Sanders, uh, we'll see if, if he's going to go out there and tear it up or if he's going to just uh, tick the box. He doesn't seem like the tick the box kind of guy. No, does he? he only seems to have one gear, but it's really interesting actually because, you know, last year Lionel was pretty cool about it, but, you know, definitely there was a lot of kind of crap around the fact that would be a good result. You know, it's fastest. WTC or Wanda race of all time, but maybe not. Don't the get me fired up. I'm not. Don't but get, you're, you're it's a bloody impressive result either way. Mm. Like if you look at historically in this race, you've had some rock stars here. Nico Lanus won it. Nils Fromhold. You had Brick McNam win it. You had Andreas Raylert win it. Faris Sultan. The only thing is they must have changed the course. Uh, I think it's a bit wind, wind dependent. You know, you, you really. But like, uh, like you look at someone like Raylert. He did eight fourteen. Mm. Well, Sanders did eight seven forty four. And if you look at the gills times, the gills times have actually, no, they must have changed the course maybe around 2010 because that's when it started to go closer to the 8-hour year. But even then, like last year, the gills time was pretty typical of what you're going to get in the gills time. Mm. So Meredith Kessler took it out in 8.48. The year before that was at 8.44, 8.50, 8.52, 9, so on. So either way, that race last year from Sanders. Oh, exceptional. Freakish, because it was basically 15 minutes faster than what we've seen on that course. And mm. that course is a fast course who's had top-end athletes. Mm. Yeah, very, very impressive. From from my understanding with that race, it is a bit wind-dependent. You know, if you get favourable winds, it really makes quite a big difference on the bike. But still. We biked know. 404. Yeah. And then ran a, four, a 2.42. Yeah, no, very impressive. Jeepers. Course record. That Fantastic. Is unbelievable. Brett McMahon ran a 2.40 there last year. So exciting racing there. Fast race. We might see an Ironman record, John. <laughs> <laughs> so this is probably the biggest news we've had this week. And I find this really interesting. And we've got a great piece from John Levinson from try247.com. Guys, if you aren't going there, use that as one of your triathlon websites because it's bloody brilliant. But Gwen Jorgensen has put out a Twitter post saying, I want to go for the Olympic gold medal. And as soon as I thought that, I thought, 
why are you doing that? <laughs> well, I think we were even discussing this last week whether she was going to come back or yeah, not. Yeah, we were, weren't we? And then literally as soon as I was doing a show notes, someone emailed me, and I think it was Mike Threadgold, and he just said, oh, she might be coming, not not come back to triathlon. So right. tell us the story, John. Everyone's speculating as to how fast she can go. And it's always good to have those big lofty goals, but uh, Olympic gold medal is a pretty tough ask. It's, well, it's just a really interesting career choice, isn't it? Because, like, you know, if she goes to Japan as a triathlete, well, she's real contender, isn't she? You know, it's basically her and a couple of girls who've got a chance. Go to a marathon. So John Levison's done a great piece, and we'll, we'll kind of briefly talk through it, but make sure you go and read it, because he's kind of said, is it possible? Now, he's kind of broken it down into two sections. He's kind of said, first of all, could she get to a level where she could be competitive, mm. you know, at a big city marathon or at a um, at the Olympics? And then could she win? And the basic summarization is that she could probably get to a competitive level. Well, that, I, I knew you'd be asking me, oh, what do you think she could run? And, and my initial response before seeing this article would be, I would have expected her to be able to get down to a, you know, a low 230 or 230 flat sort of thing. Yep. Um, and that's... I, I'm not a marathon. I don't follow marathoning at all. So marathoners, you just have to shut your ears if I say anything that's a little bit incorrect here. Yep. But that's pretty competitive. But unless you're you know into the mid two twenties, that's that's when you start winning marathons. And and we know that Paula Radcliffe and you know obviously she's retired now can go um, quicker than that. But yeah, I think she can be certainly international standard. Well, what was really interesting, so if you look at the marathon records from this article here, saying the Olympic marathons tend to be a little bit slower. So basically, to be competitive, she needs to be about under 226, mm -hmm. really, to be able to be competitive big city marathons or at the Olympics. And he's saying that if you look at their marathon results, pretty much all the results have been in the 220s between 223 to 226. But those athletes who have won it have always gone under 221, so you, you sure it might be a slow race, but you still have to be a fast athlete to be able to win the race. Mm. So, and, and his kind of conclusion is that ultimately it's it's very unlikely or there's no chance at all of her winning it. Because her statement was, I'm going to try win the Olympic gold medal. Mm. Now that's different to saying, I just want to run at the Olympic marathon. Mm. So, you know, like it's it's a... John's done a great job just summarising some of the um, triathletes that have switched over or tried marathons. Nicola Spurig, it looks like she's done a few in sort of training and sort of done a mid, mid to high 230s. Um, Vanessa Fernandez, who is a great ITU athlete, uh, she did a very impressive yeah. 231 in Valencia in 2015 and has done a half marathon 112. Jackie, the late Jackie Gallagher, she um, made a good fist at running as she got to sort of Commonwealth Games level, ran 232. Um, did you know her? No, I haven't heard of her. Sarah Dosina. So she sounds like she's a runner who tried her hand at triathlon, um, but she got down to a 2.29 and a bloody impressive one-hour 10 half marathon. Yeah. Um, and, and then the one that he, he does quite a bit on is uh, Sonia Krolik. Did who, you know her? Yeah, so she was around um, pretty much when I started triathlon around the early 90s, and she was winning the, the junior title. She was having mm. good battles with a Kiwi girl called Sarah Harrow who won the world junior title once, um, and she was... A, 
as you can probably, if you see this picture, she, she looks like a marathon. She doesn't look yeah. particularly healthy um, <laughs> in terms of just There's nothing on it. Bones. It's bones with some skin. And she was a, I recall she was a terrible swimmer. Oh, really? Woeful. So she'd be like last out of the swim and then she'd come back and you know, if she was within five minutes coming off the bike, she was probably going to win those races. But she, she got down to sort of uh, real legit sort of level, you know. Um, well she had some very 20s. respectable results as a runner. 2.26 two getting third in the Berlin Marathon in 2004. So, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see how she goes. But I, th- I do think, you, you know, why she would do this um, I would imagine for a marathon runner, it's a hell of a lot easy to be a mum and stay in one place for for longer periods. Yep. As opposed to a triathlete, you've got to be following the circuit. You know, you're country hopping all the time. You're going to different training bases. When you're purely running, yes, you're still going to move around a bit and yes, you're going to be racing. But she's probably can do, you know, if she wanted to, probably 100% of her races in the States and not have to travel too much at all. Um, so I think that... I would imagine being a new mum, that probably paid uh, part of her decision and probably the total training time is probably not quite as much as you would do with, with triathlon as well. So I'm sure that'll factor it in. Um, yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. I think there's some other things to think about. How will her body handle it? You know, triathlete, one of the benefits of being a triathlete is it's much more cross-training and it's a much more different use of the body in a way that's less demanding. You know, if you're those marathon runners, the load they put on their body is pretty massive. Mm-hmm. And now, Gwen's an elite athlete, so she's obviously got a pretty amazing machine. But at the same time, the risk of injury does go up when you're going to run a lot more and especially if you're trying to win the Olympic gold medal so has she conditioned you know like if someone who's got a history of running has spent years and years developing the kind of adaptation to the stress they put their bodies under she's going to have to suddenly go from a different type of training to overload quite massively quite quickly which could cause big problems well she was a runner in college and stuff so yeah but yeah but still Mm. you know like if you're going to like how long how much would a top marathon run a week Oh, she'll get up to 100 miles, you'd think. Yeah, so if you haven't done that for years, mm. and then suddenly you start jumping to that, it's going to have to be really have carefully handled. Um, yeah, and financially. She's probably doing all right for herself. Yeah, but she loses a lot of value if she changes the world and is not that successful. Mm. But I, I respect it, totally get it. And But, you know, it's, it's just a really interesting choice, you know. Mm. But as you say, it's probably more about lifestyle than what, what do you reckon her chances of winning the Olympic gold medal are? Uh, pretty, pretty close to zero. Pretty close to zero. <laughs> You're not going to put the house on it? No. You're not putting the house on it? Okay, we also have a fast prince. So I, I, I think the prince here, he's one of the, well, he is the prince who basically uh, puts up all the money for the, the Bahrain stuff. I think he's running scared, Bevan, because I think he's worried he's going to lose $2 million uh, this oh, year. Oh, okay, so he's going to try to take it out. So he's going to set himself up so he can actually try to win it last year. So if you haven't heard of Sheikh Nasir bin Hamid Al-Khalifa, then he is the guy, as I said, who funds all this stuff, uh, you know, the Bahrain stuff and the, the million-dollar bonuses. Um, and he's tr- I know he's tried to qualify for Kona before and I think just missed out, but they had the... Uh, the Dubai International Triathlon at the weekend, and it was over. It's over a bit of a funny distance. I think it's 1.5k swim, 80k bike, and 10k run, which is which is quite a nice distance, especially in the the hot conditions they have over there. And there was a couple of um, sort of. Uh, 
you know, second tier pros there. Man, he finished two for sixth overall in 308-26. And the winner, David Police, went 2.54. And so the Sheik managed to beat quite a few Kona qualifiers. And uh, apparently he got to set off with the the pros and had an escort all the way around the course. But still bloody impressive uh, racing by, by the Sheik. John, um, Gina Crawford making a comeback. It's out of nowhere, wasn't it? Got that yesterday on yeah, email. So she's yeah. going to be doing Challenge Wanaka Half. Doesn't really say where she's going to go from there, but she's going to be making her comeback at the, the Wanaka Half. So she's got two kids now. And, uh, yeah, be interesting to see how she goes. John, I put a link to a, an article on Wired about the Nike shoe. So the Vaporfly, mm-hmm. you know, the one that they brought out when they tried to do the sub two. And it was really just, and it's not that scientific, but they basically they did some research at the New York Marathon to kind of see, is it, because Nike's claim it gives you a 4% increase. 4% is significant. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and um, and so they're really trying, there hasn't been enough scientific research on it, so they, it's a really good article actually, but the conclusion to it really is it's at least 2%. Right. Yeah, so it, it really is. And so they kind of did this, I just kind of, the, 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 I'll read a little bit from the methodology was defensible and not entirely scientific. But a friend of mine, David Greenberg, took photographs of roughly 150 runners as they passed through the Bronx late in the race. He had no idea of I would use these photos, but he stood on an angle that usually made the shoes visible. And all the pictures had been taken by runners reasonably fast. They are in a group of people who I assume all knew enough about marathoning to want negative splits. You're kind of in the argument in the article he talks about how a good marathon is getting a negative split and, and so on. My research assistants and I eliminated the elites and just focused on the civilians. The fastest finishes were around 2.30, so I was around 3.15, so pretty good runners. Mm. Um, of the 92 photos Greenberg took, 138 runners have both shoes and bibs visible. Of those, 21 are wearing the Nike version of the Zooms, or whatever they're called. Either 200, So they have a 250 US version, which has a carbon fiber bit in it, and ones without. And 117 are not. We looked up the data for each of these 138 runners, and interestingly, the Vaporfly runners finish much better. Of that group, seven of the, or 33% ran negative splits. Of the others, in 17, only 15% ran negative splits. The average Vaporfly runner ran the second half of the marathon a minute 40 slower than the first half, but the average non-Vaporfly runner ran the second half um, five and a half minutes slower. Both group of runners had faded, but the people in new shoes had faded less. So basically, and he looked at his own research on his own running, and, he, and he's saying that Really, it's probably two, at least two percent. Okay. So, so actually, these shoes. Be interesting to see, though. You know, yes, you know, he's a scientist. He's done the, the research in terms of saying it might be faster in terms of the racing. But I guess the other thing to factor is uh, if you get injured from anything, then that's not really helpful. So, what, how, how, mm. how good they are in terms of your training volume. So, whether you just wear them in racing <clears throat> and you train in something else. Um, so, yeah, those would be the other questions to answer. Because the real benefit of them is that they're the first shoe to get light and cushioning. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you, you either go flats, mm. which really is just you know pretty hard on the body. But it's bloody light, or you've got, but with that carbon fiber. But I don't know, it'd be really interesting. Maybe if anyone's actually used one in Ironman, I'd be really fascinated to see because if a shoe could give you two or four percent, you're spending the money, aren't you? Exactly. But again, when you go to Ironman, it's different type of running. Mm. You know, so. Yeah, interesting okay. stuff, isn't it? So I'll put a link to that article in the show notes. John, we're still looking for the banana down the pants entries. Wanger of the wanger of the season. Wanger of the season, but good old Tari yeah. from uh, who did the camp. He sent her through a photo, John. He and he's got a butternut. Do you know what a butternut is? Yes. Butternut, yeah, but, but a butternut squash is kind of... 
kind of pumpkin-y type yeah, thing. Yeah, yep, yep. And uh, if you put that down your pants, I'm going to put the photo as this week's photo. If you put that down your pants, Terry, and <laughs> finish a race like that, there'll be something bonus, some sort of bonus. Tell you what, people would be looking. I thought a banana would look bad. That would be a shocker. So I'll put a photo up on this week's show. No, it's pretty entertaining. Gone sponsor. Extreme Endurance or Bevan. Oh, oh, he's oh, got some for me. So... From Extreme Endurance, you can get uh, little sample packs, and there are 42 tablets in there, so it's basically a week's worth of Extreme Endurance. Bevan's got the uh, Queenstown, has he still got the Queenstown up? Well, I, I went for my first run, so I haven't ran since two Fridays ago, so two and a half weeks. I did 30 minutes this morning, my hamstring held up, it's a little bit there, and it was a pretty shit run, <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. deny it, so I'm going to run it. He so, needs every bit of help he can get. Yeah. So he's going to have the extreme is how endurance. Do you run it? Thank you very much, Sean. So, and this is the thing with with extreme endurance. It, it, his race is, is on what Saturday, and today's Tuesday. Yep. Taking a, even that close to the race is still going to have a good. I've impact. got a one week pack. You've got a one week pack. Yep. Three in the morning, three at night. Guarantee, irrespective of the result, I guarantee that you will feel take less, my three now. less sore afterwards. Have, what about the uh, the old swallowing technique? You got oh, you got a little bit of water over there. This could be an on. I don't, I don't need your technique. I'm good with pills. Are you? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm no worries. All those mate. pills you popped in your younger years. That's right, years. mate. Those younger years, I was doing a hundred at a time. <laughs> so yeah. So my, my problem now is how do you race the race? Mm. You know what I mean? Because I was trained. I trained myself for one eighteen, and I did that in training. I was feeling really good. Probably could have gone to one seventeen, maybe, mm. um, maybe a little bit lower if I'd kind of really taken a risk. Whereas now I haven't trained for two. I haven't done any running for two and a half weeks. Still a little bit there. I only need to do one twenty five. But I still want to have a good run. So I'm, I'm going to be a little bit cautious, which sucks. Uh, if I was in your shoes and I needed to run a particular time, I'd be uh, Just do the looking run. at doing a really strong negative split because what happens when you're in those circumstances, if you go out hard, it's, it's just... Aerobically, you'll be absolutely fine, but it's a chance of your legs really locking up in the second half is, is yeah, quite high. Yeah, and I could preserve my hamstring. Whereas if you conserve a bit and you get to halfway and your legs are still fresh, I'd say the chance of you then being able to pick it up would be uh, would be significantly better. But that 118 probably has drifted off yeah, onto the horizon. But gutted, really. But oh well, such is life. So At least I'll be able to run it. So extreme endurance, guys. Get your. I've just taken it, John. Very easy it. to swallow. He's feeling better already. I tell you what, I think my hamstring just got fixed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable. So guys, in terms of the percentage, you know, we've been talking about the Nike shoes. You know, extreme endurance is something that can give you that extra couple of percent on race day and also enhance your recovery afterwards. So anybody who's got races coming up, whether it be late season Ironmans, a few Aussies might be going over to Western Australia, if you're looking for that something to give you a little edge or if you're in New Zealand uh, then you can sort of start your season off in style then go to xendurance.com promo code IMTALK20 and you get 20% off and you know if you are kind of curious but you don't want to commit too much you can do something like buy like what John just gave me here which is a one week pick give it a try and then you know if it works for you then it's something you'd want to invest more in and it's just a, a kind of a simpler way for you to give it a go. So xendurance.com. I'll be here telling you all about next week. I've actually grown new hamstrings. <laughs> so there we go. Discussion of the week, guys. Uh, last week's discussion was around the whole idea of should we be adding wave starts to the Kona World Championships? And we had some good discussion and Lots mixed discussion. Response. Yeah, it was a big one, wasn't it? Uh, Daniel Clark. So he, Daniel's sort of, you know, he's uh, racing as a pro now, but I think he used to race as an age grouper. Yes, drafting on the bike is the biggest issue at age group races everyone who does Kona seems to talk about the issues with drafting since it's the world championships of the sport you should get the opportunity to to race your age group heads up which eliminates any sort of rolling start so it seems like age group wave starts is the best option do your next one because 
I'm still pulling up the page. David Newsworthy, a problem is that the winds tend to pick up slash change direction as the day goes on, putting anyone starting at a later disadvantage. And I'd agree with that, David, that the winds do change. And we certainly saw this this year when the pros seem to have lighter winds out around Harvey than the age groupers. Their times are much quicker. Age group times were not particularly quick. But th- that being said, if you're starting in wave starts, then you're starting at the same so time for your age group. Yeah, so yeah. You, go, you start later, but you know, so does everyone else in your age group. And that's ultimately, in my opinion, what Kona is all about. It's age group racing. You want to be finishing as high as you can in your age group. Overall rankings, yeah, it's still important, but age group rankings is what it's all about. Gareth Holbrook's good. I, if I ever get to Kona, I would very much prefer a mass start. At the end of the race, it's very psychologically better to have a clear understanding whether the person you're running alongside is actually on the same gun time as you instead of whether they already have five minutes ahead or behind. Yeah, it's a bit bumpy in this one, but for me, the race is all about the other end. Good at Arnold Sulikov, who's been over there a number of times. Since reducing participation numbers are certainly not on the map, I would alter the use, uh, alter it and use the age group ranking system to create an elite age group wave of 300 or so, including the top age groupers and any age groupers, then uh, then all the others by wave group, wave starts every 10 minutes. Now, <clears throat> I sort of a, I like the idea of that, whether 300 is the right number or not, but. Um, just another idea to put out there. Good old Swanee Noah's got Richard Swan's got mass start as an average swimmer and a crap biker for Kona. The packs on the bikes were never really an issue. If the pack upset you, then spend more money elsewhere and don't go. The race is built around the mass start. How many of those competing actually bitch and moan about any packs? Quite a few. For me. <laughs> but I, but Remember I, John's last race? <laughs> but I do agree that if you're going to Kona, yes, you can bitch and moan a bit about it, but you kind of should know that when you're going in there, there's going to be some pretty hefty drafting at the front end of the, yeah. the race, and it's pretty hard to avoid. Uh, Rob Heath, 600-plus male age group has come out of the water between one hour and two minutes and one hour and seven minutes. It's impossible not to draft on the bike. It's simple maths. That being said, difficult to split. His suggestion is have uh, the first wave have the men 30 to 50-year-olds. Second wave... Oh, so bigger wave starts. Yep. And then uh, the second wave would be your young guns, your 18 to 29-year-olds, plus your over 50s. And the third wave would be all the females. Uh, 15 minutes apart and do that race on Saturday. Now, the interesting thing that he uh, then said is then Sunday have the pros racing. Now, I've often said that I think logistically doing splitting the day and having males one day and females one day is just not going to happen. And I, I know somebody commented on there, oh, you can do it at big cities and things like that. But what you got to remember with Kona is there's one road. Mm. You are shutting the island, the section. Yeah. There is an upper road, but man, that's a, that's a bloody Massive inconvenience for the locals. But for, for Rob, I think his suggestion might be a little bit more feasible. If you did the age groupers the f- first day, then if you do the pros the second day, it's kind of like roll. you could have rolling... You don't need as much support on the course in terms of um, mm. marshals and uh, aid stations. You know, instead of having well, it's a race for hundred people, isn't it? Yeah, instead of having twenty people on an aid station, you probably have five. Um, and then the race, you know, they're all they're all off the bike relatively early. You know, so say the girls, if they're starting at um, seven o'clock, then they're going to be. You know, six yeah, hours, six hours off times. the bike. They'll be off the bike by one o'clock in the afternoon. So I think that's actually a, a, not a bad idea 
and and then there would be massive crowds on the Sunday for all the age groupers. I do think it would take a bit away from the pro race. Even the pros, they're out there by themselves, but it probably still is quite fun having you know another two thousand people out on the course. Mm. But I think that would be <coughs> counterbalanced by the fact you, on the run course and that you just have huge crowds. It'd be awesome. Scott Connolly's got having done Kona for the first time this year after working at it for ten years to get there. I won't go back until they change the format. 180 meters, um, sorry, kilometers of drafting is both frustrating and dangerous in itself. It has to move to a wave start. So he was actually really disappointed with the experience. Laura Siddle? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Laura. <laughs> Thanks, that's really insightful. Um, and I'll go Trevor Kirsten. He's got, if they go to wave starts, I hope they don't, they should also be a reduction in total time for some wave starts to finish so that the midnight cuts cutoff still remains. It's barely light when the male pros head out uh, now. So waves would require just uh, that drop, just as I believe Roth has made 15 hours, not 16 to finish. Yes, they have. Uh, I, I don't know if that's the exact time they use, but I know that Rote is uh, is a lesser cutoff. I, th- I think it might be more than 15 hours, but yeah. it's um, but uh, it's certainly not 17 hours. So um, I'm kind of torn on this one because you sort of look at I look at it from two angles. I mainly look at it from a performance angle, and at the moment, it's just simply not a fair race. And, and this is not me whinging, but I want to see when you go over there, you have as fair a race as you can for age group excellence. You know, it's a world champs. It's about being the best in the world. So in that regard, I kind of think this is like a no-brainer. You've, if you want to have a fair race, you've got to have yeah. wave starts to try Especially to Especially the world championship. And, 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 and it's just, I, I can't see it any any other way. Yes, you lose the, the, the kind of the appeal of the mass start. And I love mass starts. I think they're fantastic. I think it adds another element to the day. It's something else you need to deal with. Um, and we, we don't want to be dumbing down the sport too much. So I, so I kind of look at it from that angle. And, and that tells me got to be wave starts but then I look at it at the other angle and that Kona is kind of it's also a bit of a celebration of our sport um, and and it's got that appeal for not necessarily always the front of the Packers you've got your legacy athletes or the guys that you know scrape in after trying for 10 times or they get lucky on a roll down and uh, and you've got sort of all shapes and sizes out there so I kind of look at it at that angle as well and most of those people from who I've spoken to kind of like having that mass art and everybody crossing the line. So I'm kind of torn, but I'm certainly probably drawn more towards having wave starts and making this, you know, a proper world championships because for the guys um, who are good swimmers, uh, not the top, top swimmers, but the good swimmers, when you're out there, it's just, it's a nightmare. Absolutely. Well, nightmare. and your experience of Kona last time was that you wouldn't go back. No. You know, that was, you know, you're really, and you got a drafting penalty, you know, mm-hmm. like the whole experience was kind of ruined by the, the population of the field. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, I, and I actually, I think it should be mass start and, oh, no, sorry, wave start. Um, get it right. I, yeah, <laughs> God, don't argue for the wrong side. I get why people say they want the mass start. Mm-hmm. There is something about the nostalgia. There is something about cool about the gun goes off and everyone goes. Like, I get it. But that's an experience that only lasts for a few minutes. And then yeah. if the rest of the race is ruined because you're worried about drafting for the whole bloody bike ride, well, then the negative side of the race is actually a lot longer than the positive you gain from the mass start. And to me, it's a world championship. Mm. You know what I mean? It's a world championship, and it should be a world championship first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so you can say, well, legacy people and people who have kind of just swept in, or or do we look after the people who are going to be cut off at the end? I think we've got to say this race is our world championship, and that should be the main focus of the race. And so, sure, you know, and I don't mind them kind of making the cut off time a little bit longer at night for the slower mm. people and stuff like that. 
But I do think that if this is the world moment of our race, and I know it's not, you know, that it's mainly about the pros, but actually it's not, you know, for for anyone who's going for this race and who's a serious triathlete, they're putting a lot of time, money, and commitment into doing this race, and mm. and a lot of effort. And it means a lot to them in their year. And if you're spending half your bike ride thinking, oh my God, am I going to get a penalty? Or you've got to race mm. it differently because everyone's around you, like your experience was. Like, do you think you would have had a better race if you'd had a wave start? I would have had a better chance to have a, a better race in yeah. terms of being And so, able to- so even just that answer there, mm. this is our world championship. And so to me, I actually think it has to be a wave start because I just think that if we're going to call it the world championship, so you either do that or you say it's the pros world championship and it's just an age group race. Mm. And it's actually not an age group world championship. Now, they're not going to do that because the Kona is the golden ticket and it is. But you either go, you know, so then you might say Arizona is the age group world championship and then you do wave starts there in a different way so you could maintain the mass start. But for me, if we're saying this is the world championship, we're not treating it like that by skipping a messed up. Mm. Oh, no, I totally agree. Mm. And you've got to remember as well, if you're a mid to the back of the packer, there's a lot more speed variation with the athletes on the bike. But when you're sort of a front of the packer, you know, you're a good swimmer, you're often going to be a lot closer in terms of ability on the bike. So it's a lot harder to split those packs up. Whereas a really strong um, swimmers there off the front and the really weak swimmers that are axes on the bike, they can ride straight through. But for those sort of the average in the middle, it's uh, it's a lot harder to, to do. And, and, and again, I'm not trying to make this at me, a whinge fest from me. It's more about, I want to see fair racing. And, and same deal if I'm coaching somebody over there, I'm like saying, well, you know, there's all these different things that can go, go on on the bike and, and you can't really just ride your effort. It's going to be... Well, and also, be if you're place. a weak swimmer and you get in a big pack, mm. it's such an advantage to you, isn't it? Mm. Whereas if you're a strong swimmer, your strength gets diminished in, you know, in the mass start. And, you know, and I, and I think we've got to say the main priority is the world championship. Mm. So if you're a slower age group and you've got there, well done, have the experience. But the race shouldn't be focused on you. It should be focused on how do you put a race together for a world championship. And I know that might some people might be upset about hearing that, but it's it's the world championship. Yep. You know, and, and for you to stand up on the stage in Kona as an age group world champion, there's a lot of prestige in our world about that. And, and it should be the fairest race to achieve that. And we've stood on the, uh, the sidelines enough times and been over there to know Yes, of course, on the way back down um, elite down the Queen K, yes, it's split up a lot, but we still see coming oh. through the 175 Ks into the ride, serious packs coming through. I'm just sitting there going, what the hell is going on? And that pack has an advantage. Yeah. Massive advantage, which people above them or behind them don't maybe necessarily have. So interesting discussion. Will we see a change? I can't. I think the rationale... F- for being changed from Ironman would probably be to enable more competitors on the course. and So it's going to happen. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so yes. I think that would be then if they're going, how can we get, we want to have more people on there, we're putting on more races, we want to have more tickets to keep people doing our races, then that's a reason to do it. So we may get it for not necessarily the right reason. And the trend of the sport is moving towards this. Mm. You know, in the last period of time we've seen split starts, we've seen the rolling start, we've seen all these variations of starting the race. So I probably would say in 10 years from now, probably we'll, we'll see this how the race is done. There is a few logistical things with Kona that I think would make it a lot more challenging in terms of getting into the water. Um, that would make it, you know, there's lots of challenges to, to think through, but I think it's it's feasible to do it. But getting into the water is one problem because you do enter and exit the water at the same place, but I don't see any reason why they couldn't 
change the entry point or, or, or figure out some solutions. Or something. Yeah, some steers. Yeah, it's not rocket science, Exactly. Yeah. Okay, this week's discussion, uh, what bike workouts have given you the best return for improving your Ironman speed? So not just your cycling speed, your Ironman speed. And what they can be is they can be off-season or in-season, you know, just workouts that you know that by doing those workouts have really made a difference to your ability to race an Ironman race. And with that, um, put the workout in there. Exactly. Okay, guys. Stats-tastic. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. Now, this is a good one because last week, I just out of nowhere pulled out, what's the fastest half Ironman or 70.3? I haven't used half Ironman in years, have we? 70.3 speed of all time. And we asked, and the world answered, John. I, I, just to... I often intentionally put half Ironman effort in people's training programs. Just because you're a rebel. That's <laughs> what I love about you, Newson. He's a rebel. So Kenneth Henney actually made a post on our Facebook page and he thought Michael Raylert going 3.36.04 in Challenge Bahrain in 2014. That's got to be close, if not the fastest half iron distance record race ever. But then Tim Ford says he, he went faster, he thinks, in Clearwater in 7.3. So when, is that when he won the World Champs? Uh, and it was a 3.34. And I checked that one, and he did do that in 2009. So that's Michael Raylert, 3.34. And of my very brief search on the old interweb, I couldn't find anything quicker than that. I'm not saying there isn't, yeah. but uh, I couldn't find anything quicker than that 3.34 is smoking, in isn't it? Clearwater in 2009. And meanwhile, while I was doing this, uh, and I looked into Hallie Fredrickson, um, uh, because I was wondering if she was racing in... Arizona this weekend when I went on her Twitter page one of the things that said on, on her sort of header was holding the world's best time for a half distance oh, there you go. So 1.9k swim 90k bike 21k run she went 355.50 it's interesting if you went just double the time so if you look at um, Michael Ray Alert 334 so double that it's what 70709 yeah 708 yeah so that's pretty crazy isn't it it is crazy fast. It is crazy fast. Mm. Um, I wonder what splits were. Before yeah, before before that, just plug in uh, Clearwater 70.3 2009. Okay. Let, let me have a guess while, while you're doing that. I reckon he, sorry, probably ran, he was an amazing runner, wasn't he? Probably ran a 110 and probably rode pretty much uh, just over two hours, like a 202 or something like that. And that would probably give him like a... 25, oh, probably a 24 minute swim plus transitions. But yeah, Hallie Fredrickson, three. Okay, what'd you say? What'd you say? Uh, what did I say? I said about, I've got a, here about, right in front about of me. a 110 for the run, probably like a 202 on the bike and whatever, 20, 23, 24 swim, something like that. No, so he, so second place did 336. So it's a fast day. In Florida, it was fast. Um, and it looks like there was a bit of a pack ride. So he swam 21.58. Mm-hmm. And there was pretty much everyone came out of the water around the same time. The top five did at least. The the top five pretty much did the whole race together. And then it was a run that it came down to. So they all ran road uh, 2.59. Two hours and fifty nine. I'm oh, sorry, sorry. One hour fifty nine on the oh, bike. One hour fifty nine went under the two hour mark. Yeah. Holy smokes. Yeah. 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 Now pack riding, but but still, I, I don't know. At the front, they wouldn't have been drafting. You wouldn't yeah. think, you know. He ran a one oh nine. Nice. So a 21 or just under 22, sub two-minute, two-hour bike, and then a 109. Nice. That is 
Unbelievable. And then Julie Dibbins did a 359 that year. Yeah, so I went through and looked at a number of the girls' results from Clearwater and uh, and there wasn't anything under 355. And you kind of think Helly Fredrickson has been a reasonably recent convert. So Chrissy Wellington, I noted a few fast races at Eagle Man. Um, but yeah, Helly Fredrickson is still claiming it at a 355. So if anybody knows anybody that's been quicker than that, we're more than happy to give them some love. What happened to Leon Griffin? He's still around. I think he's doing the uh, doing the Island House try this weekend. Oh, there you go. Uh, this is quite, it's quite funny because we've been doing this show for so long. Some names from the past, you know, they pop up and it's like, okay, what are they up to now? Okay, guys, we've got an interview with Jeff Jonas. He's a bit of a legendary businessman, but also a legendary Ironman. So we're going to get him on right now. Right, guys, you will have heard uh, earlier in the show today's interviewee, Jeff Jonas. Uh, he's got a fairly interesting sort of business background, you know, a bit of a Bill Gates type sort of story by the sound of it. He uh, dropped out of high school, built up his own business, um, had some challenges in business, but then, and then in, in life went and broke his back, um, sold his business to IBM. And uh, But what we're going to focus on today is, uh, is some Iron Man adventures. And uh, Jeff, along with uh, one or two others, have created a fairly exclusive club, having been able to do every Iron Man in the world. So uh, we're going to find out a bit more about that. So welcome along to the show, Jeff. Hi, how are you? Very good. Now, I've got to say, um, your first triathlon, Jeff had an article done on him in Triathlete magazine, and uh, it sounded like your first triathlon was a fairly interesting challenge, and you got some interesting things out of it, because you did the Vineman 70.3, or it might have been the Vine, just the Vineman triathlon back then in 2002, and uh, your claim to fame from that race was that you uh, managed to beat your mum in that race. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my mom got me into athletics. I was not into athletics at all, and I was 31. My mom asked me to run a marathon. I'd never run a marathon. She told me, I said, sure. I said, when is it? She said, five weeks. And so I I kind of trained up in five weeks on a treadmill, I'd never run more than 11 miles, and then my mom smoked me on the marathon. <laughs> and so I was, uh, you know, I really felt I had to up the game. So we did this half uh, Ironman together, the Vineman, and uh, I just crushed my mother. <laughs> <laughs> In your face. <laughs> um, Jeff, I, Jeff, I'm just kind of curious, you know, obviously being a very successful businessman, it's, it's very interesting because often that's a very one-dimensional, focused life, which which takes an effort that most people don't really experience in life. Um, you're saying that you weren't really into your athlete, you know, athletic side of life until about 31. What was it like bringing sport into your life, you know, and, and maybe having to sacrifice some of that business side of your life at that time? You know, it, it ramped up kind of slowly, to be quite frank. I mean, I did that one marathon, and then I'd like I did a mountain bike ride, and then I kind of enjoyed mountain biking, and then took out a road bike, and then eventually somehow stumbled into a high-altitude triathlon, uh, a Scott Tinley high-altitude triathlon in Bryanhead, California. It was my first actual triathlon, and, man, I was second from last. It nearly killed me. Um and I've never really taken it very seriously because I'm not very fast. I don't have the time to train. Like I, I just find them, they're just fun. They just they create space in your head. Like it just gives you a little break and a little release. So my goal is, you know, to just get through them and make the most out of them and meet all the great people that do do races. What is your What is your kind of training week like? Uh, well, for starters, I never swim. I only swim on race day. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you improve it. 
<laughs> I I wasn't a swimmer in school, so I don't even really have a, a great form. But um, so for starters, yeah, I do no swimming. I almost never in the last year I've not ridden out on the road except in a race. I've been just going to some um, spin classes, you know, the oomph oomph oomph, yeah, and yeah. Uh, spin bike. And then I I do some runs. So I I run five to uh, ten miles once or twice a week and then before a race comes up I start to I kind of step it up a little bit and do a, a few long runs and then that's it and you know if I can if I can break 13 hours I'm always happy what's it like post post race for you know because you know most people you're going to be sore after an Ironman but you most people are pretty conditioned for the race so their body is at least ready to do the race whereas for you you know, you're well under conditioned really to do an Ironman, but you, you managed to pop it out. So you know, what's it like post-race oh, for you? Wait, wait, I got to tell you one funny thing about this. I actually, uh, uh, last year really stepped up my training. Okay. And I got this watch. I got this great Garmin watch and I used this training peaks app, you know, that somebody suggested. So I'd never really had any instrumentation and I was training more than ever. So I, I realized I needed a tapering strategy. So I started like Googling tapering and it was something on the order of this. It says if you're, you know, if you're over like 40 hours taper like this, if you're training 30 taper like that, if you're training 20 like this, well, it turns out as much as I was training it, there's no taper. <laughs> I, was, I was up to like 12 and a half hours a week. And it's just like, that doesn't, you're not at taper. And that was like, Tons of training for me. <laughs> so, so uh, that was kind of defeating. No wonder I'm in the middle of the pack or in the back. And, and so, um, post race, what's your body like? Like, you know, because I just imagine with the lack of conditioning that your body, like, it's a massive thing that you put your body through. It's really, I mean, I might be a little stiff for a day or two, but what happens when I get, you know, because I'm, you know, there's this real curse about being in this club. It's like every new race that they announce, I got to go do to stay in the club. It was hard to get into the club. So they, they're kind of lumpy in the season. So sometimes they're one weekend apart or two weekends apart. And so that's kind of like peak taper, peak taper in a sense. Nice. But uh, it is not bad. I really, I, I, I don't, you know, maybe I'm sore after the first one. Especially my upper body, you know, that first swim of the year where I haven't had a single swim, I haven't flapped my arms once for like seven months. Yeah, okay, I'm a bit stiff. <laughs> so, so on race day, for you when you're going around and doing all these events, um, are you out there racing, you know, trying to go as fast as you possibly can around the course and finish as high in the rankings as you can for your ability? Or are you going out there to essentially complete the distance and, and do it in a, in a comfortable fashion? It's it's the latter. I I am not out there stressing myself. I'm not redlining. Mm. What, 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 what made it appealing to do every race? So you obviously got into the sport. You did your first Ironman in 2004. Uh, um, when did you start to think to yourself, I know, I'm going to do every one of these buggers? It was a big accident. I went and did a race with a buddy. We did one overseas. And then the next year he goes, let's go do it again. And I went, no, let's go do a different one. And then the next year he goes, well, let's do that one again. I go, no, let's go do a different one. And then I said, I didn't mean it when I said it, but I said, hey, I, I don't know. I just, I'd rather do them all once, but I didn't mean it. And then I just kept doing a new one. You know, every time there's a, a, I felt like doing a race, I would just pick 
a race I hadn't done. And then there came this point when I was getting to like 30 or 40 percent. And I went, you know what? I guess that's actually possible. So it really came by accident. And, and then did you start just slamming them in as as quickly as you could? Once you actually said, I'm going to go for this, you know, how did you how did you sort of structure it? And, and how long was the process of actually getting to the point where you'd done every Ironman race in the world? That was another accident. I, one year I scheduled three races, but I, I tripped during a training uh, run and, and broke my collarbone. So I had to cancel a race or two. And then I went, wow. Because that was the first year I like I tried I I registered for three usually I was doing one or two so I went oh that I get it you need to register for a lot more than you're going to do because something will go wrong oh, so okay. like the next year I registered for five and then nothing went wrong <laughs> 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 it was a big again just a big accident uh, I remember I didn't actually realize I was closing in on it till about five months before the race in Copenhagen, and I think it was 2012 or 2013 with John Ragg and Luis Alvarez, and I had this revelation that that was it, and it was nine, I think it was nine years in, and of racing, and I remember about three or, I don't know, three to five months before the race, I went, wow, I'm, this is really, on that day, I'll have done them all, and it, it turned out on that day, Lewis and uh, John would have done them all as well, so there was no club the day before, and then there was a club that day. Oh, so there's, there's three people who have done all of them. Yeah, yeah, Luis oh. Alvarez. I mean, these and these these guys are really well known. Like they've got each. John Ragg is like 240 under his belt. Luis Alvarez has like 140 under his belt. I mean, I'm I'm cruising at 50 something. <laughs> so how many are there on the circuit? How many Ironmans have you done, and how many are there currently on the circuit? Uh, I've done like I think I've done 58, but they keep adding and deleting them. So I get total on the circuit. I haven't gone back to look like next year. They added so far Norway, Estonia and the Philippines. So I'm signed up for those. Very excited about that. But I guess the totals usually hovers right around 40 ish. What are the, what are the best races? Well, the best races. Did you, is that what you asked? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh, I, I just love Ironman Austria, man. If I was going to do any race twice, I'd go do that one. Um, I love the South Africa Ironman. It's just fantastic. The Canada races are just some of the most beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and have yeah. you have you made it to Kona? Obviously, you've got the the legacy program, so you'd easily be eligible for that. Have you been over and done Kona? And what was your experience you like have. there? You must have done a few now, animal. I'd be a club if I didn't do Kona. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got it on the legacy program. It was a really uh, uncomfortable race. I didn't, I really should have had my bike service. The, the, the bearings in the, um, neck of the bike failed and I was unable to really, the bike had a shimmy if you, or a shimmer, if you got over 14 miles an hour and you couldn't take the hands off the bike to get it. You, you couldn't even take one hand off the bike to take a drink out of the water bottle. <sighs> I was really, I literally was, um, three, I was three miles into the race and realized the thing wasn't turning right. And then I had no idea if I was going to make it at all, none whatsoever. And so I, um, I just tried to make it a few more miles and a few more miles. I remember getting to where there was 10 miles left and thinking, well, I guess worst case I could run it in from here. But it was very stressful. Like when your bike's failing on you, it's, it really takes a lot of joy out of the race. So it, it really kind of painted that one for me, and it's my own fault. What, what, 
like because you're a businessman and, and you know like what have you learned about yourself as a businessman by being a triathlete you know there's this thing about being able to get through hard things like if you're in the software business it's projects can be tough sometimes they're just a lot harder than you thought and, and now and then you get to a project, you're like, man, this is going to take Herculean effort. I'm going to have to work night and day. I'm going to have to, there's many a days in the last few years I've worked 24 hours straight. Wow. But you just say to yourself, I can, you know, wow, I can do it. I know how to do this. So, so there's kind of this confidence that grows in you that's that I, this identity of I can do hard things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, you really realize that mind over matter, uh, so uh, it's true, and Ironman's help reset it resets your brain about what's possible. Hmm. So obviously, once you've done this challenge um, and you cross the line, and I can't remember if it was Sweden or Copenhagen, when you finally had had completed it, what sort of a feeling was was that like? And then, I suppose it's a bit different. You know, if somebody goes to the Everest and they conquer that, there's often that sort of post event sort of blues and you're wor worrying about what next but I suppose the unique thing with your your sort of journey is as you said there's three new races this year so it kind of keeps growing but what was it like when you had actually at the time done every Ironman race and, and what sort of satisfaction did you have? You know it was about three miles before the end of that race where I actually choked up a little I mean I, I just realized it was actually going to happen and you know it's not been like I, my life's not all been simple. I've got three ex-wives. I, I ended up with a, a wife that abandoned me, and I had three kids I had to raise, you know, when I was running a, com a company, and I had that broken neck where I was um, a quadriplegic. And the fact that it kind of turns out you really could end up doing every Ironman just kind of seems surreal. I didn't have the postpartum blues. By the way, Lewis, the other... Uh, 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 the other real legend in, in Ironman uh, for these uh, all the races, he just did Everest last year and went blind when he was at the top of the mountain. He barely made it down alive. Really? Yeah, man, you guys got to interview him. It's just, what a story. Um, anyway, um, um, I don't have the postpartum blues, but I'll tell you, at the end of every season, I kind of miss the next race. Uh, but it... Um, but then, you know, the next races are on the calendar. It's kind of like whack-a-mole. It's, like, it's never like going to be the end of them. And if there was some year Ironman only added a race or two, I'd probably do a, a few extras. Uh, to me, you know, five to seven years, uh, kind of a nice number. These other guys are doing um, 15 to 20, by the way. <laughs> mm, mental. But do, do, you, do you kind of go, if they stopped adding races, would the appeal of doing Ironman fade away? Um, that's interesting. You know, I'd probably I'd probably start doing seventy threes to tell you the truth. Okay, that's what I would probably do. I I really enjoy the brand, and I enjoy the people, and I enjoy the I enjoy something in the in the in my calendar that kind of obligates me to maintain a certain degree of base. Mm. I I like that. It's healthy for me. Now, I did read in the, I'm not sure, in one of your articles or on your website somewhere, you, you sometimes do some uh, some sort of gimmicky gimmicky things um, at some of your <laughs> events. I read one, you, I don't know, you rode with suspension on your bike or something because you didn't want to get beaten by a girlfriend or something. Another one, t tell us about your, um, your Ironman Wales uh, transition strategy. Um, 
Yeah, in Ironman Wales, that was the first race I, I went to without my girlfriend there to kind of pick me up. A lot of the races at the end of the race, uh, you know, she'd have to help me find my bike and uh, give me a piggyback ride to the room. You know, I'd be pretty dysfunctional. But that one I had to go solo on. And I decided to try to do something to make it memorable. And I decided to to do the entire bike on the clipless pedals in tennis shoes so I could have a really fast T2. And um, and it turns out of all the bike races you would not want to do that on, <laughs> is, is that. That's absolutely not good. So I I did the bike on the tennies, no cages, you know, just yeah. on the clipless pedals. And I popped off that bike and did a transition. I think it was in a minute 58, and I beat the pros at like 2.15. So I, I, I think I still have the course record for T2 in Wales. I'm very proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 but having to wear sand shoes for the whole ride, what, how was that different? Wait, wait, what was the question? How was that different, for, like just using you know, your training shoes on the bike ride, how was that different to you know, using proper cycling shoes? Well, you really only can push down. You can't pull up. And um, you get these little hot spots because those pedals, the, the clipping pedals aren't really a full-size pedal. <laughs> nice. Um, have you documented all your travels and races and stuff anywhere, like a, if people want to read about it or you got a book on the way or anything like that? You know, Because there's obviously uh, a huge amount of uh, knowledge and, and, and probably some funny stories along the way. You know, I blogged a few times about it, but then I went quiet just because I've been working so dang hard. I mean, I'm really kind of a workaholic, too. Um, Lewis and I, though, are have been um, uh, starting to make some little videos that are just, they're just we think it's going to be kind of funny where Lewis really has all these tips. You know, he tells, it, I, I've, I've run 50 races, and I'll, uh, uh, Lewis and I will be at a race, and uh, he'll, he'll tell me some tip, and I'll just go... Man, I can't believe I, I never realized that. That's because I don't really read. It's not like I like studied up on this. I kind of just get in there, you know, and just try to like get through it. But um, Lewis has these practical tips. So I started making these little videos with Lewis. We've got about four of them posted on YouTube. No one even knows about the channel yet. It's um, called Tips for Triathletes, but it's got like four views because well, it's the first time I've ever mentioned it in public. But this last race. I decided to try to race in entirely new gear, everything, like tennis shoes. Oh, I'd, really? Oh, tennis shoes that I'd never run in once and a new brand I've never tried. Um, a brand new wetsuit I'd never swam and a brand new pair of goggles that had never been in the water. Um, everything new, new bike shoes, new bike, um, new sunscreen, which turned out to be a real disaster. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, and Lewis, uh, filmed, you know, we did a fun little thing about not racing in new gear, and then I just, anyway. How did yeah. the race go? Aside from the extremely severe burn on the leg, uh, I will say I loved the new bike seat that I'd never been on ever. Uh, that was a, a real pleasure, but uh, the race was okay. I hung with Lewis. He was having a really tough day, so it was my longest race ever, but not for my own doing. It was in Taiwan, but... Uh, Lewis was having a particularly tough day, uh, so I hung with him. You broke the golden rule. You know the golden rule: don't try anything on race day. And you didn't think you were on race day, and you broke it. I just, I decided to race with everything new, 
and part of it, the, the, the race two times before that in um, South Korea, it was three weeks earlier in South Korea, I'd raced with only a new bike seat that I'd never ridden on once. And it ruined my ass. And the last hour and a half of the bike, I did standing up. And I don't mean sitting a little. I mean, I pedaled standing up for an hour and a half because my ass had failed. Well, I, love, I love how you, you have that experience. And then you think, I've got a good idea. I'll do everything you. <laughs> I was, it was, I guess I was, yeah. I just decided <laughs> I'd double down. I got a different seat and then I decided to just do everything different and see what happens. So. And, and outside of becoming uh, now world famous on uh, Triathlete Magazine and our podcast as well, has there been any other recognition for you? Like, has Iron Man done anything, anything for you, or has there been uh, any rec- recognition from them the fact that you have done every race? No, no recognition. I don't do it for that. In fact, um, when, when Triathlete Magazine came to do the story on me, I recommended a few other people that I thought, like uh, Luis Alvarez and John Ragg, I recommended that they probably would be a better fit for it. I was really, really unknown. Like that's one of the things they said in the story is you never heard of this guy. And I got, uh, you know, I'm just a software guy and I just kind of stumbled in by accident to this kind of club with these others that are <laughs> real legitimate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what, just lastly, what would be your advice to somebody thinking about doing this? Well, I can't comment on if they're trying to be competitive and win. I, I don't even know what that's like. Um, but they're just, they're really fun. And Iron Man is a great way to see the world. It's really a bunch of great people. It's a way to maintain a somewhat healthy lifestyle, whatever uh, uh, race distance. And uh, I, I don't know. I would say if they have an opportunity to do a new race each time, you might be surprised how it might just turn into the, some uh, uh, candidate for making it into the club. We we know a few other people that are kind of closing in on it. It's very exciting. So it won't be just a little three grouper. Maybe it'll eventually be seven or ten. Pretty cool. Fantastic. Yeah, it's great stuff. Oh, well, I've, I fully respect. Uh, I don't know if respect, but I find it. Uh, Amazing that you can go and do Ironmans on uh, next to no training, yeah, which yeah. which is very admirable. And the fact you've done everyone in the world is is very impressive. And we will maybe try to get those other guys on as well to talk about what it's like when they're uh, trying to be at the the other end of the field. So um, good luck with staying in the club, and uh, and we hope uh, more people can join in the future. Hey, it's really nice to be on your podcast. It's uh, thanks so much. I've enjoyed the conversation. Awesome, thanks, Jeff. Okay, John Wanger of the Week. Wanger of the Week. Rand.org this week is saying it is category number seven. Category Total number seven. duration. Total du- These are the absolute nutbars. Who's the nutbars this week, John Boo? The total duration this week is... First is Paul, Paul Toomey from Australia. 22 hours and 29 Ooh. minutes. Joe Skipper, he does all right. Yes. He's a 1926. Just edging out by eight seconds... Jim Plunkett Cole. Good old Nadine Voice. Nadine Voice is on fire right now, isn't she? 1719. I think she's going over and doing Ironman Western Australia, so she needs to be doing that to get ready for that. And then Lisa Hughes in 1439. And then lastly, Mel. How's that one? Seltiel. Seltiel. 1207. So these are our total duration, our nut bars. Good work, team. Keep it up. Keep up those long hours. Yes, and Jim Plunkett Cole, we have to catch up with him at some stage. He's the guy who is, running I'm pretty sure, running, running across America. 
Uh, let's start with questions and answers. We're kind of actually waiting to do our interview. So I know you've listened to it, but this is the magic of podcasting. So we're going to do questions and answers. And just good old Robert uh, Southernberg, Sunnenberg. I uh, just said we've been doing the top three oh, athletes, nice. and he came through with the Swedish athletes. So he's just saying, hey, thanks for a great podcast. Here are the top three athletes from Sweden. Do you want to do them, John? Yeah, so the fastest athletes at Ironman Copenhagen was Patrick Nielsen. He's done a 7.49. Second fastest athlete is uh, Frederick Cronenberg. He's done an 8.03. And third is Jonas Jurbach uh, in Kalmar. He did 8 hours and 10 minutes. So nice. only one Swedish athlete has been under the eight-hour barrier. And oh, then, we've got one Kiwi as well, haven't we? Or is no, we've now? got several now. We've oh, got Terenzo. Terenzo, Mike Phillips. And hopefully Cam Brown shortly. I think Cam Brown's doing uh, Western Australia. He was trying to go sub eight, is he? Yes. Do you think he could now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think not, so. Not, he's, not yeah, too long in a tooth. Trenzo went, what, 8.40, 8.51? Yeah, I think he's 7.51. 7.51. Okay. On the girls' side of things for Sweden is Asa Lundström. She's gone 9.02. 49 in Melbourne in 2015. Eva Nidstrom uh, went 909 in Kalmar. And then Camilla Lindholm went 916. And then in Kona, their fastest ever Swedish athletes, uh, Patrick Nelson last year, he went 818. And Asa Lundström in 2016 went 922. So Swedish girls, you could become some the fastest ever by doing a sub nine hour race no sub nines for sweden oh, you see how i gave you that one because his name's well done <laughs> uh gonna got a kind of a sad email actually come through from kerry brown kerry brown she wrote to us and just said you remember three years ago at ironman hawaii you gave a podcast about rob brown having cancer and being able to race hawaii that year due to cancer he passed away this week with great sadness and uh, and i just wrote back to him and said oh can you give me a bit more detail and she actually sent through a photo of rob and i when we were in Kona, so this is a few years ago when really? I, I interviewed him. Yeah, so pull down the page, you can see the page, oh. the picture. So it was, um, it was when we were out and about in the street, and I must have done an interview with him. And uh, so I just said right back because I think she wants to kind of just. Um, he loved the show, and uh, I think she may even want to put some of this in on his funeral. So it's kind of cool that this is a part of it. Well, I had so, another email in yesterday from oh. um, from Finn, and he was saying that he, you know, just a guy who's got a lot of had a lot of energy and really inspired a lot of people to to get stuck in. I think over in sort of um, in the in the Middle East, I think it was. Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, he was obviously an inspiration for for a lot of people. Wow, it's pretty. It's, and he was know, only forty, I think. Really? Well, so so. Um, Kerry came back to me and she just got, Rob was an Ironman enthusiast who had a dream to always make an Ironman championship. Before he was diagnosed, he used to train most hours a day and we used to joke with each other that he should take his bike to bed instead of his wife. <laughs> I'm sure the triathletes agree with that one. Uh, along with Ironman Talk podcast and driving in, in the car, that's the reason I contacted you as you were ingrained in my mind. Every holiday destination would consist of an Ironman. I mean, Regensburg, a place to go for dreaming for a visit. Um, we lived in Dubai for the last five years, and three years ago, we had dreaded the dreaded news that the cancer diagnosis, cancer of the endocrine system, had spent uh, most of that year. Uh, he spent most of the year training in the hard 40 to 50 degree heat in preparation to participate in the World Championship, which he had gained from the Ironman Legacy Program. Unfortunately, he was advised by the oncologist not to race, so he booked it up already, and in true style, Rob wanted to come over and cheer on fellow triathletes. That's when we saw you on the hill opposite the coffee shop, and you gave a short interview, so that's when in the photos right. there. Rob had participated in 20 Ironman races and one half Ironman. So he went for the hardcore 
races, didn't Absolutely. he? Back of the half, I'm doing the full. Uh, two London marathons, three quarter marathons, and lots of local events. He even cycled Land's End John's Oak Roats in four days. Now, do you know that? That's the uh, length of the UK. Oh, the length really? of England sort of thing. Nice. Uh, the Legacy of Help the Heroes Charity to raise money for the soldiers of injured in war. He was truly was an Iron Man. After three years of fighting and the dream had finally conquered the disease, like Armstrong did when he would tell me, wait a second, like Armstrong did, he would tell me and be able to cycle on the highway in Kona, his dream ended. He always told me pain is temporary, but pride is forever. He touched the lives of so many people, inspired others with cancer to never give up. I was always surprised how strong he was. As you know, Iron Man pushes their bodies to the deepest and darkest places. I thought he would stand a chance. After all, he was my Iron Man. So just obviously a pretty special person in their community. Mm. Obviously, Kerry's, you know, his partner and a pretty important person in life. And just, you know, it's, it's obviously sad to lose these people, but... What they leave behind is some really powerful life messages. And obviously, Rob was just one of these people who brought good to people's lives. Mm. And um, so just our, our love and caring goes out to you and your family and, and all those in the Middle East who will be missing Rob right now. We just had a quick pause there because we, we actually just did the interview and John went to the toilet. Reminded me of you going to the toilet then. Because well, when I was younger, do you remember Revenge of the Nerds? Oh, you're not, you're not on. Wait a second, turn your mic on. Yep, there he is. Okay, so you remember Revenge of the Nerds? I do. Revenge of the Nerds was a perfect film when we were kids, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, did it, what, two, three, four, yep. got progressively worse. Yep, but I remember watching one of the Revenge of the Nerds with my dad. And my dad, my dad, my dad's quite a quiet soul, and in my family it's a strange thing. But I used to love as a kid watching a movie that made my dad laugh. Mm-hmm. And there was this, um, I remember watching League of Their Own. Remember League of Their Own? Not the so woman's much. baseball film it's a pretty good film and Tom Hanks and, and lots of female actors and uh, and Dad laughed the whole time and I remember just the kid loving watching movies my, the Revenge of the Nerds is a scene where they have this, this whole scene who was the big guy in the Revenge of the Nerds you know, remember? remember Booger well. yeah Booger was yeah Booger but yeah. there was a big guy anyway and the whole scene, he's going for a pee in the background. Oh, right. And it just like, the scene's like 10 minutes long, and the whole scene, and my dad is cracking up laughing. So I was over in Malaysia a few years ago, and I was in, in this in this hotel with my friends, and my, my room was the party room. So everyone came in my room and having this party. I walked into the toilet, and they had a hose by the toilet. Yeah. So I thought, I'm going to do the Revenge of the Nude joke. Yeah. So I go in, and I start, and I just get the hose. I do my own pee, and I just use this hose. I'm literally there for 20 minutes. Yeah. Just, and I'm thinking, I'm an absolute genius. Walk out, they didn't, they didn't notice at all. <laughs> Absolutely broke my heart. John, patrons. Craig, The Rock, and Nicholson. We've got uh, William, Treasure Chess Lockwood. And Scott. The Sharkman Girl. Good work. Good times, guys. If you want to become a patron of the show, go to me and you can see the little Patreon link on there. And also our camp, if you want to come to Camp Kiakaha. We've only got about a week or so to go if you're coming to Camp Kiakaha. Okay, so get on it. Get on it ASAP and you can email us at imtalk at gmail.com. And you can also get the show email to you if you go to imtalk.me on the front page. It's all pretty obvious. John. Watch your goss. We've got a bonus segment today. A bonus segment? Bonus Coach's Corner segment. Oh, here we, go. we have only just done the interview with uh, Jeff Jonas, and my Coach's Corner segment this Don't week do what is he does. do some training. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. But pretty crazy, but. Yes. Pretty crazy. I know we, we, we should have probably talked about this post when we put the interview up, but just the way shows work today, but to do no training, basically, mm. and to do an Ironman. Yeah. It did make me think maybe I should just sign up and do an Ironman. What go. do you reckon I could do if I just signed up today? 
and my hamstring or, or the extreme endurance if you're, if you're, yeah you'd be fine so you'd swim you know if you cruise the swim you'd do say 110 yeah I reckon just, about just, 110. You know, just yep. going just going through it and if you cruise the bike ride uh not a new zealand course but say you went and did uh Roche or something like that, probably 615-ish, yeah. I'd I say. I think under six, but it's okay. I'll yeah, go there. Yep. yeah. Well, no, that's, that's, not, yep, that's cruising. just riding it yep. and not pissing around riding it, just riding it. Yep. And then the run, um, I would be saying you'd uh, just set off and at, at sort of five-minute Ks yeah. and that would give you a 3.30, but you might fade a bit. Yeah, so, so let's say sort of 3.45, yeah. something like that. So what's that? 3.45 plus six is about nine. Ten, about, yeah, that's probably 10 11-ish. Yeah, it's probably about right. Yeah. Yeah. I never went over 11 and I, man. <laughs> I never did. Or did I? No, my Kona was just under 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it wasn't a good day. I had a good run. Yeah. yeah. Going long is not such an issue. It's going fast. Yeah. So then you just fall to pieces. Yeah, like no I could time. turn up and do an Ironman, but if I went to try to do Okay, so let's say I did a fast one, mm. but then you fall to pieces. Mm. Uh, John. John, 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 what's your goss? What's my goss, Bevan? What about you? What if you turn up today and deny, man? Today? Yeah, because yeah, you've smashed it this year. Yes, but I'm really, <laughs> fitness is deteriorating at the rate of knots. All I'm hearing 5K, is excuses. I'm not hearing excuses. The 5K uh, dream's dying dream pretty quick. Is, is, is what was the goal? Sub, sub 16? Yes. So I'm just gonna. I've just got to get through the next couple of weeks, and then I'll then I'll reassess and come up with with a new plan of attack because it's just been a bit of a bit of a messy period in terms of uh, got an exam tomorrow, Bevan. Oh, my how chem- you chemistry exam should be okay. Then we've got the triathlon festival, uh, the pack and save triathlon festival the weekend after next. I, I support pack and save. Good. And I only go there because of the triathlon festival. <laughs> Send that to them. Send that to them. Yep. And uh, yes. Yeah, so in terms of if I was to go out and do an Ironman now. You know, I got demoralised just biking here this morning. <laughs> That's not a good start. So Bevan's place, I have about uh, maybe a, maybe two k's ish yeah. on the flat, and then I've got a, a steep climb. You know, it's sort of ten. Oh, it's a, it's a ten, decent ten, climb. Ten ten ish percent for. It's for, never um, fun. It's never fun when you're doing it for transport. No, it's yeah, you know, it's for I don't know seven seven or eight minutes. Uh, probably average nine ten percent. And I turn up the road and I was fiddling around my bike computer. But isn't it frustrating when you're going up a hill and you think, I'm just cruising up here, I'm not going hard, but I'm still like yep. to think I'm an okay cyclist. And some guy with a backpack on didn't even look like a cyclist. Blew past you, did he? It just blew past me and I thought he's going to blow up and he just kept on going. Didn't, uh. didn't look like he's ever done any cycling or triathlon in his life. Just one of those natural sort of yeah, mountaineer guys, type yeah, guys yeah. that just dance up the hill. I was like, oh. I'm really quite crap. So if I was to go out and do an Ironman, um, I would comfortably swim under uh, under an hour probably, yep. and that would just be be cruising. And then the bike, uh, I think if I went, you know, and rode this year, what did I rode four fifty four or something yep. like that. Um, I think I'd be getting into bother if I went. Um, you know, if I tried to go five thirty, I think I'd be okay. In, in so five thirty bother five thirty and the run. Uh, I'd I'd probably take a similar approach to you, but probably just under sit under five minute case so yeah, sort but of you probably hold three twenties or something three twenty or so something. So you're like quite that. about ten hours. Yeah, I'd say ten would be uh would be about what I could muscle if I had to go and do it tomorrow. Yeah. Let's do it. I'll meet you. Let's do it. Park. We'll, we'll meet it meet it Pioneer and we'll get it done. So yeah, that's what's happening in my world this week. Exam tomorrow. Uh get what's ready the exam for this on? race, chemistry, pretty basically it sounds like it's been dumbed down quite a bit, so I'm dumbed so down because you guys weren't doing so well. I don't know. How can I, they do that? I thought it was gonna be I was really worried it was gonna be really challenging and I know that uh, a lot of these guys, their, their kids, I've sort of been doing chemistry through school and stuff, so I'm really on the back foot, and I'm sort of, it was, wasn't stressing, but I was like, 
this is proving to be a bit more challenging than I would uh, would have hoped. Uh, but now I'm feeling a bit more comfortable. Nice. Is this the last exam for the year? It is. Oh, John Newsom. Done and dusted. What else? That's my. I'm then going to the races on Saturday. Go Back it up. Three and twelve all day long. Three and, three and 12. twelve. How much do you bet? Oh, a couple of dollars each way. It's not. It's not big time gambling. It's not not big, time. big time gambling. Not big time. Uh, do you get pretty trolleyed? It'll be a long afternoon. What time do you start drinking? Twelve o'clock. Oh, you don't. You don't have to do the breakfast thing. No. Because I was talking to a mate yesterday. That's at eight thirty this morning. Because the New Zealand Cup day today. So oh, nice. the big race day for New Zealand's today. Um, well, that's the the, the trots. Yeah, but it's the big race day, isn't it? No, Saturday's pretty big. Yeah, but it doesn't get as much news coverage. Yeah, it does. Does it? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. What, so, what's Saturday? So today, what, what's it, today so is... So trots are what? Tr- I don't know nothing about Today what. is the, um, the is trots it? where they have the, the cart behind them. Oh, and yeah. Pulling yeah, the person. The trots, yep, got the trots. And then Saturday is the gallops where you're riding the horse. The gallops so are better, aren't they're they? Both New Zealand, um, they're both New Zealand champs. But which one do you like? Oh, the one we go to, definitely. It's a bit more entertaining. Today is messy. Because, is it why? Very messy. Because people have a day off work and they. It's, it's oh, yeah, 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 it's messy. They oh, start yeah. at 8 o'clock in the morning and they're going hard out. It's usually really hot on Tuesday, but today's not that hot. So, Saturday's a bit more classy, Bevan. Oh, that's why you go that way, John. <laughs> <laughs> the Newsoms, they go to Saturday. John, I went to the movies on Friday. I went and saw um, Murder on the Orient Express. I saw that on Graham Norton the other night. Yeah. yeah. Graham Norton's a good show, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Graham Norton would be one of your favourite shows of the week. No, but it's, oh, it's watchable. Oh, it's always entertaining. Yeah. What's your favourite show of the week? Do you watch Seven Days? No, Modern Family. Oh, you still love Modern still Family. Love Modern Family. <laughs> you do love Modern it's Family. Like, this is your life. You even wrote to TV3 about it, didn't you? I think I did. You said, wait, wait a second. You said, this is your life. Where's it gone? Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's an autobiography. Um, went to see it, John. Mm-hmm. I, I was pretty happy with myself. Because mm-hmm. I said to Joe, when we walked into the movie, tap tap each other on the, sh- on the knee when you think you've got it so in the movie so it's like a murder mystery yeah and you're trying to figure out so it's, and it's right from the start there's a murder and you mm. you know and, and the whole so the Perot is it I think his name is he's trying mm. to solve it and and about maybe halfway just past halfway tap Joe on the knee mm. and I thought oh, I'm pretty sure I've got this you'd be good at Cluedo yeah well John I think I should be one of the characters in Cluedo based on this one I tell you and so I, I did it and then just before he did the review, I said, here's what I think. And Joe says, here's what I think. Who got it right, John? Joe. No. I, Detective Bev. <laughs> Detective Bev. And then we came home. A painting had fallen off the wall and Joe couldn't figure out why, where it had gone. Mm. What happened? Detective Bev figured it out. Nice. So I've got a new nickname. Not Mully's long gone. Mully. Detective Bev. Mully has long gone. Yeah, Mully long gone. Mm. No. And so I got the race this weekend. Good. And the coach renewed some advice. Yes. I'm going to sit on four, three fifty fives. 355s, okay. I was training for 345s. Yes. 355s, a bit of a buffer. Mm-hmm. And then halfway, pedal to the middle and do a sub 110. There you go. <laughs> I'd win it if I did that. Uh, Big question, good. are you going to get checked? Based on how I'm going to have to run it, probably. I don't know. The thing is, when I was training at 118, I had a chance of winning my age group because mm-hmm. I've aged up. Mm-hmm. And realistically, John, this is the only chance in my life because... I probably won't go back and race it next year. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to get later into my 40s next year. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be racing to win my age group now. Oh, dear. Oh, this extreme endurance better grow up in my new hamstring, I tell you. Okay, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick, Kick hard.